This presentation is from UX Australia 2022, day two. Hello, and thank you for having me um, here for your closing keynote. Um, I'm speaking to you today from the ancestral land of the Muwekma Ohlone tribe um, in Palo Alto, in the uh, southern branch of the San Francisco Bay area in California in the United States. And it's my great honor to be closing uh, this conference. Um, so uh, we're gonna to talk today about product management for UX people, um, or as I sometimes think of it, working with product managers without losing your mind. Um, so, and just to give you a little heads up on what I'm gonna to try to cover um, in the time that we have is, uh, just a little bit about product managers and how they got into the picture um, next to us UX people. Um, and then a little bit about how they work, what product managers are really trying to do, why they do those things that we sometimes find frustrating if we're UX people, um, what those pains are, what, what some of the most common frustrations are that I hear about in my consulting work and my writing. Um, and then a little bit about how you can actually take your UX toolkit and the, the expertise you have developed over all these years to solve these problems and really make a difference with them. Um, and then I think we have some time for questions at the end if I don't run too long. So um, let's get right into it. Uh, uh, just to give you a little bit of background on me, um, I first encountered product managers uh, at Yahoo. Um, where I was brought in uh, to be the third and ultimately final curator of the Yahoo Design Pattern Library. Um, and one of my responsibilities at that time was the uh, to curate a set of uh, social design patterns, which eventually led to this O'Reilly book that I wrote with my boss, Erin Malone, and that we rewrote a couple of years later uh, with her taking the lead on that um, stage. And uh, one thing I noticed um, at Yahoo was that um, user experience people who were called UEDs or, or user experience designers at the time, um, all ultimately reported into product managers. So I was like, who are these product managers and why are they in charge? Um, after the pattern library, I went to AOL for a while. And while there, one of the things I did was uh, a product management role um, on one of their properties called Patch, which is a network of local newspapers across the US, all served by the same backend and CMS. Um, and at the time, uh, that's when I sort of discovered that product management was a role that really suited me, um, that I was tired of the, the kind of big company grind, especially in you know such fail companies as Yahoo and AOL. So I jumped uh, into startups to kind of get a taste of the, the early days of the web, again, from my point of view, um, and worked for a while at a company called CloudOn as the director of product management and UX, a company we sold to Dropbox eventually. And then I spent a little over four years as the VP of product at a company called Seven Cups, a mental health startup uh, trying to offer free emotional support anonymously um, on demand uh, via chat. And uh, since then, I have been consulting um, through my own company, Design and Product. Uh, along the way, I have written this book, Product Management for UX People, which you may have heard of, or now you've heard of it, and you've heard it in the name of the talk. It's all connected. Um, and in the background, I've also been working on another book for Sense and Respond Press called Growing Product People, uh, more for leaders who have to build teams, and that's not out yet, obviously. Um, while consulting, I started uh, one of my main clients, uh, at the beginning of 2020, turned out to be the state of California, uh, our our state's COVID website. Um, I started as a product manager there, ultimately taking the lead on the project. 
um, until the end of June when we transitioned the site uh, over to the Department of Public Health. Um, and uh, while I was there, um, you know, we I was able to sort of imbue the product work with a degree of user experience sensibility that I think is sort of the approach that I that I prefer. Um, uh, one example might be when uh, the public health department wanted us to start building a chart that showed which variant was dominant at any given time, and they mocked up to one one a line chart, or we mocked these up based on their descriptions, a line chart with a sequence of, of peaks, and um, an area chart um, that uh, the executives found to be very visually appealing and were inclined to include. Uh, we had our doubts that we called it the lava lamp chart and felt that it probably doesn't communicate as clearly what's going on as the line chart. So uh, we used that old trick of usability testing to put the charts in front of people and, and uh, get their feedback and find out which ones communicated to them. And it was sort of a slam dunk and we were able to ship with the kind of chart that we needed. Um, just uh, in August, I accepted an appointment from the governor uh, to take on a lead role on the product team or to lead a product team, essentially, and establish a product practice in the Office of Data and Innovation, um, the same team that I've been consulting with for the last year and a half. So I'm very excited about this new mission. Uh, in just a couple of weeks, I think the first thing I've been working on is about to ship, but it is hush-hush, so just stay tuned. Now, uh, um, I have a slightly unusual request for the people here today, and um, and certainly it's up to you whether you want to participate, because <laughs> I realize it's probably the end of a long conference and you may have wanted to just kick back and listen. Um, but I have found this to be a useful thing to do when I've given this talk or versions of this talk to different people, different groups. Um, so I invite you to either participate or, or you know, uh, gossip with your neighbors uh, about these topics. Um, and, and if you don't want to participate actively. Um, and uh, what we're going to do is take about five minutes. Um, for you to do these things. Uh, download uh, uh, the Empathy Map Canvas uh, PDF, um, which we, I believe, can probably get dropped into the chat or a quick Google search would find it. Um, it's the most recent version that ends in 006. Uh, I also will put it up on the screen, and you may be able to grab a screenshot and, and do it that way in a moment, just as soon as I finish the steps. Uh, then I would open it up in some something that you can annotate on, You know, wh however you like to write on things. Uh, if you had a printer nearby, you can print it out, uh, if you're um, remote, for instance, as well. Um, and then think about a product manager, ideally the, the product manager you work with the most, you encounter the most, um, and and do a quick version of this empathy map exercise, which you're probably familiar with. Um, but instead of thinking about an end user or a customer, think about this coworker and try to put yourself in their shoes. And write down your best answers to each of the questions in each of the sections of the empathy map. Um, I'm gonna start that timer now and um, uh, invite you to spend five minutes on this exercise. And, uh, I'll try not to distract you too much during that time as I watch the clock, um, but I will uh, uh, mention that um, when I have conducted this exercise with uh, small teams or large companies, um, I've often found that uh, it's a helpful first step in healing some of the frustration uh, on dysfunctional teams. Um, a lot of the problems that uh, arise are not caused by people who are trying to frustrate each other or thwart um, good software development. Uh, certainly there's conflicts that are rooted in different points of view and different beliefs about what's important and uh, what we should focus on and, and what we have time for and things like that. There are absolutely 
legitimate disputes. Um, but there's a tendency sometimes when our ox is gored to feel as though the other person is really in the wrong and is wronging us. And that defensive posture is sometimes a problem. Uh, it gets in the way of finding a path forward that works for everybody. Um, so what I found is that introducing one of these UX tools into the process, something that, again, I think we're all familiar with, um, and using it to try to begin a process of uh, allowing yourself to see things from the other person's point of view. It doesn't mean you have to immediately accept that they're that they're right and you're wrong, uh, or even you, you don't have to even accept that you're both right, which might not be true. Um, but you can start to map out what you believe is true about them and why they're doing what they're doing and what is motivating them and perhaps what is inhibiting or frightening them how they might be informed by their past experiences or the incentives. Um, anyway, we'll get into the details of these things a lot more. I'm really just uh, temporizing so that people can complete the exercise. Um, and we'll give it about another half second or so, maybe half minute or so, and then resume. Because uh, I know it can be hard sometimes to feel like time is passing in a talk without any new information being shared with you. This is me looking at my timer. You don't have to show this to anybody. So you don't have to pull your punches. You can be completely honest about what you think. You don't have to censor yourself or, or try to be your best self. You can just start with where you are today, what it's like to work with that person and what you seem to believe is going on from their point of view. Okay, I think that's gonna count as five minutes. Um, let's get on with it. So what does make product managers do what they do? Where are they coming from? Why are they like that? Uh, let's talk about this a little bit. So first of all, what is a product? Um, uh, if you're like me and a lot of other people who came up through the UX design, um, discipline. Uh, there's some problems with the word product. It it seems like for it's limiting in some ways, given that a lot of what we do is a service. It calls to mind this notion of an industrial product that's mass produced and can't be iterated on rapidly or anything like that, that that's built in factories that you tool specially and deliver to, to intermediary stores. It's a very different model, no matter what we're talking about, if you're comparing it to digital software. Um, and uh, it's a commercial model. It's a transactional one. It comes from the private sector. It doesn't. It doesn't fit everything. Um, but it's a metaphor. And if you want to substitute, substitute in your mind every time you hear the word product, if you wanted to substitute commodified digital service or something that that felt a little bit more accurate, um, or if you want to unpack that, sometimes if you think the people you work with are overinterpreting the word product, you know, have at it. Uh, it's the it's the term of art at the moment. It's the title I have. I I try to work with the terminology that's out there. Um, but so what do we mean by a product then? Well, uh, or what do we mean by product work or product management when you don't have those those boxes of detergent? Um, and I think uh, uh, one of the most common ways to think about product management out there is, is in some ways quite reductive. This is um, a diagram by Martin Erickson, who was one of the founders of Mind the Product, um, and showing product managers that they live here at this intersection of UX, tech, and business. Um, I like to say that every discipline has a uh, 
a Venn diagram like this, where they're the center and everybody else sort of is out on the periphery and they are the culmination of all the important things. Certainly any kind of coordinating role like UX or product tends to have a diagram like this or a way of looking at the world like this. Um, and I think it's a bit misleading. Uh, on the other hand, it is a way of cataloging three categories of topics that product managers have to have some facility with. And, and so on that level, it's not it, it's not inherently harmful. Um, it's such a common diagram that has been riffed on and, and turned into a meme and 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 played with many, many times. This is one of my my favorite joke versions of the diagram. Um, here is an iteration of the diagram that Peter Merholtz made uh, that was screen grabbed from one of his talks. Um, where he makes a pretty strong case that the, the UX uh, circle is mislabeled and should really be called design. And that UX, just like product management, exists in the intersection of those three things. And I think that's valid. And I even feel like, uh, obviously, I mean, I come from UX. I do product. I'm, I'm, I'm simpatico with this point of view. Uh, I do agree that user experience and product management are heavily concerned with pretty much the exact same thing, you know, the, the ultimate experience of the product. and and how much value it delivers and how successful it is based on that. Um, the only problem I have with equating them is that they are really different roles, at least as the work is done today. And it can it can sort of uh, smear over those distinctions if you're not careful. Uh, I, I kind of like this revision of the original diagram that took it and plunked it down into the space between the product and the consumers. And so that's really where you're working if you're a product manager. But that's kind of cool. And I, I much prefer this concept from um, Joff Redfern, who's an executive at uh, Atlassian. Um, he he also brought out, uh, led the effort to bring out LinkedIn's um, mobile app a number of years ago. Um, and he likes to talk about three temperaments or, or, or you know, sort of backgrounds like general being a business person a general manager a leader or someone with operational and decision-making skills um an artist a person who understands the gestalt who who uh, is creative who has leaps of intuition who who can um uh, you know deal with aesthetics and, and elegance and, and all kinds of concepts like that um and then a scientist somebody who is empirical uh who likes to see the data who does experiments to test and probe um, and as you can see, those don't map exactly to engineer, designer, and business. You know, they 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 they're slightly different metaphors, and they bring to mind different things. The idea is that most of us are are closest to one of these corners, um, maybe along one of the lines between these two things. But that to be a great product manager, we sort of want to live in the center somewhere, and and that part of our growth is to move into that center. Um, that's for product managers, you know, for their craft. That is. Um, so what do product managers do? Well, they make decisions, and, and I often like to say that it feels to everybody else like product managers are making all the decisions. Uh, it doesn't feel that way to product managers. Product managers know that it's not really their call. Uh, you know, and again, I, I understand there are dysfunctional organizations where product managers are just ticket takers from the boss or make all the decisions and don't listen to UX. So I want to distinguish between how I believe product management should work and how it works, uh, how it's done when it's working well. And the reality is out there, which is often not living up to this aspirational goal at all. But, you know, so certainly there's some dictatorial product managers making decisions willy nilly. Um, but much more commonly, a product manager is facilitating decision making, is drawing attention to the key decisions that have to be made, putting them in front of the people who have the ability to make the decision and and making it clear to them what the, what the consequences are of the choices they're going to make and of not making the choice in time and things like that. Um, but these decisions happen up and down uh, the process at, at every scale. It's very fractally um, decisions about the roadmap itself, the direction of, of the product, uh, which features go into the release, uh, when to release, 
uh, what to fix, you know, when to fix rather than build. Um, and one thing that I find is that product managers are making so many decisions, often tactical ones on the fly, and then again, facilitating these larger decisions and taking accountability for them, that you can't be obsessed with perfection or else you'll never you'll never make your decisions. You have to accept that you're going to get some wrong and that part of leadership is being willing to be wrong sometimes. Um, uh, you may have heard of sort of the agile concept of build, measure, learn. This has become an article of faith among most uh, product managers, at least who practice in, in the Silicon Valley style. Um, and uh, there's a lot of validity to the cycle. I think there's some debate over where to start because a, a UX person might say, why don't you learn something uh, and then take ideas and build and then measure what happens versus building and then, and it, it, it's a bit of a quibble because you know, everything, there's, there's a real beginning to some of these cycles. Um, but the point of continuing to learn and, and feedback is, is a strong one, uh, as is the critique that, that what really happens is, is not this equal balance of building, measuring, and learning, but a heavy emphasis on building uh, a certain amount of measuring and very little learning at all, uh, which I think is a valid critique of the, of the way this often plays out. Um, uh, product managers have to get engineers to do good work uh, and be aligned and, and on mission and happy with their work and contributing their best ideas. Uh, you have to listen to the risks that they're afraid of and concerned with and also sometimes counter their arguments and make the case for something that they may be resisting. Um, and uh, you, you don't generally, as a product manager, uh, get to boss engineers around. They don't report to you, typically. Um, but you are on the hook for what happens as a result. So it's this classic persuasion, accountability without authority kind of a challenge. Uh, as UX people, I think we deal with engineers a lot too. We know that uh, whatever we design isn't going to get built the way we want it unless we work closely with engineers. Um, but I'd say in some sense, it's a little bit more of a peer-like relationship and there's uh, UX folks can wash their hands of what gets built and say, I designed it right, they built it wrong, it's not my fault. Um, and product managers really don't get to say that. Um, product managers are also responsible for keeping the team focused and, and making the difficult decisions about uh, what to what to do first, what to do second, what not to do at all. Um, there's always far too many good ideas uh, than, to, than time or resources to do them all. There's always painful decisions where you have to uh, deal with opportunity costs and the consequences of, of saying no to things that you want to do. And product managers live right in that in that zone all the time. Um, as mentioned, uh, often product managers have to work with people um, who are partners, you know, they're not leading these people, they're not their managers, they're, they're all working together. And so it's a big challenge to communicate well. Um, here's this empathy map again that we were just speaking about. Uh, you know, um, there's understanding that the different people are going to hear the message in the meeting a different way and might run off uh, with concerns about it unless you connect with them and reassure them about the things that they habitually get triggered by. Um, you may need to be updating Slack and sending out a weekly report and uh, talking one-on-one -on -one with people. Um, it's a great deal of communication in the role. So um, that's the product manager side of things. We also see that, of course, a lot of UX designers are waking up one day to find out that they've been redubbed a product designer, a, a title change at work, uh, maybe an announcement that we're becoming a product organization and we're going to use product mindset now. And it's often very unclear what this really means for the practicing designer. Uh, you know, it's a question of, uh, are we just changing my title and I'm really doing all the same things and so we're just rebranding UX? Or is changing my title a way of asking me to step up and become involved in things that have to do with product that have not always um, had to do with UX? 
And I think there's no set answer to that. It's something that the leadership of the company or the design team that made the change probably needs to articulate, but it's something worth discussing if it's not clear yet. Um, and I think the, the more important point, I think, is that product and design go, should go hand in hand. That The things that the product manager needs to achieve fully depend on the design practice and on UX uh, work, you know, UX strategy, UX research, UX design, uh, to achieve building valuable product that, that people want to use and continue to use. Um, and so when UX and product aren't getting along, or if the process doesn't work exactly the way UX designers or strategists or researchers wish it, or content designers wish it would, um, it's a missed opportunity. It can be a communication challenge. Um, and I think one of the things that uh, can help in sort of negotiating or attempting to heal the, those kinds of relationships is to be aware of what uh, the, the UX side of things brings to the table, you know, whether it's this ability to synthesize research, uh, a whole stack of problem solving tools, um, you know, all the user understanding methods, uh, including not relying simply on data, but but doing qualitative, qualitative research to explore the reasons for things. Um, you know, the big picture uh, systems level strategy, diagramming, information architecture, um, content modeling uh, or concept modeling, things like that um, are all processes that deliver artifacts or insights that really help build a great product and that a good product manager should welcome uh, and that a, a product manager generally doesn't have time to focus on, uh, certainly not adequately. I mentioned that um, product managers also are heavily involved in prioritization, but as you probably know, UX people do a lot of that as well. We run workshops, we do dot voting on stickies, we've got a bunch of different prioritization uh, techniques and processes to offer um, and skills to help say run that workshop so that the product manager can facilitate it or vice versa. Um, and not to mention all the sort of craft skills of being able to help the PM make a good slide or a visualization that helps uh, clarify a point um, or just uh, the right words, uh, the right messaging around uh, the product, the marketing or the internal communications. Um, so as I've been kind of acknowledging, I think, and hinting at pretty much throughout this talk, um, there's a lot of pain out there. And I, I sort of knew this intuitively from one-on-one -on -one conversations and uh, coaching folks and you know that kind of thing. Um, but I have found in, as my book came out, as I've been speaking at more conferences, as the pandemic has waned somewhat, uh, teaching workshops in person, uh, there's a very clear pattern that, at least for some folks out there, uh, there's almost a certain amount of trauma involved in this idea that maybe UX, having finally gotten that seat at the table, is now being pushed aside a little bit or having its seat at the table moved a little bit to one side and this other person, the product person, is maybe sitting in the chair that the UX person was hoping to sit in. Uh, there's some you know, fear and anxiety about loss of status or concern about career options if everything becomes product instead of UX. Um, and then there's a lot of pragmatic issues involved as well with people um, having uh, difficulty working together. And, and uh, you know, we can go into some of the details of that. <clears throat> so uh, at a high level, um, 
it's very common for UX people to feel that once again, they're downstream, um, not being brought in soon enough, strategy or direction is already determined before they're included. Um, it's not always clear to, to UX folks where the requirements are coming from or why they are what they are. And again, it's sort of this problem of being downstream in a de facto waterfall process again. Um, you can. Uh, I've often heard that uh, when presenting design or research work, uh, they can feel like they're not getting across. The product manager is not really understanding or fully attending the, to the, you know, what's being communicated. Uh, there's this sense of speaking two different languages um, and not being heard. Um, and prioritization can also be handed down rather than inclusive. Um, there's a lot of talk, as I mentioned, about how product management ought to be done that doesn't seem to match the lived experience of most people. Um, under, underneath all of this is this idea that these these roles have a mental model of each other that might not be accurate and and that also might be generic when each team practices these things differently um, and it's often those unspoken assumptions that haven't been brought to light that are creating a lot of the friction um, because people walk into the room assuming somebody's role is to do something or to not do something and when they cross that line it's perceived as a transgression or an, or an attack of some kind and in some cases, it can be completely innocent and just based on not having calibrated expectations adequately enough. Um, and all of these things can ultimately lay at the feet of leadership. I mean, it's it's almost impossible for these problems not to be, to some extent, the responsibility of leadership who should be noticing these things and trying to improve them. To be fair, they're just like us. Um, I find in my consulting, they're not sure what's right. They think everybody else has it figured out and it must be easy, but it's not. It's different everywhere. Um, they don't have all the answers, but you need a clear escalation path if you can't solve the problem uh, directly at your own level. And I always believe in trying to do that, whatever your environment is, trying to work with the people you're working with as best you can. But if you realize they really have wrong assumptions about me and they won't change them, they don't listen to me or... Uh, I have assumptions about them that they don't agree with that that I'm concerned about. At some point, there is no alternative except to to go to the next level up. Um, and uh, having kind of gotten all the the pain to the service, or at least acknowledged that there is this pain, this trauma that some folks are carrying, um, I would like to sort of take a turn in a more positive direction, let's say, and talk about um, what you can do, what's possible, where, how do things work when they work well. Um, what are some successes I've seen and how you actually have a lot more um, moves to make and a, a lot more, as I call them, superpowers to, to bring to bear on the situation than you might realize. Um, uh, you don't necessarily need to be constrained by a product frame or have UX made less than. UX can be seen as almost like the secret weapon of product management. Um, so talking again about some of these things, I said that the, the uh, the product design discipline can bring to the table in this product frame um, uh, are sorry, you know that you can help solve problems using all the design thinking or design doing techniques that we know uh, including art skills including uh, visual you know uh, visualization skills and communication skills um, you uh, UX people inherently are about taking what we can understand from all the signals about our users and turning them into a coherent picture to help guide what to build. That's really what the product managers need to do as well, although they might call it customer obsession or getting outside the building or something like that. So there's a really strong opportunity there to, to inform that process correctly. A missed opportunity in a lot of cases, just to be honest. Um, I mentioned that I think of as sort of the, the sister disciplines of information architecture and content strategy. Um, Besides their sort of 
direct application to the work that's being done and the end result for the user um, can also create really useful artifact, uh, artifacts, not heart attacks, uh, ideally, artifacts um, that can help uh, visualize a system, uh, visualize a, a map or a plan, uh, be used as a tool for people to get alignment on or to comment on and disagree that they don't think this part of the diagram is accurate and maybe these arrows should be pointing the other way. And what about this missing area and things like that? Um, I'll talk a little bit more about how you can kind of bring the, the, the UX style of prioritization um, into uh, in, into the picture if it's not if you're not being included yet. Um, and uh, sort of the, the getting behind a, a purely data driven approach that doesn't really explore the meaning behind the, the data. Um, and very broadly, just this idea that I think UX people are good um, at, at bringing context into the picture and and putting questions uh, into a larger context that helps people understand them and make decisions better. Uh, there are these turf issues. I've kind of talked around it a little bit. It's sort of, in some ways, the most immediate tactical and almost crass element of things. Nobody likes to admit that they're concerned about turf, that they worry that somebody is stepping on their toes, that they're losing status. But, you know, we it's human nature. We're primates. We're very aware of where we are in the pecking order. Uh, there, there's no getting around that. Um, it's part of life, and it might come out as politics in a, in some organizations or simply just human relations, that you need to deal with people and you need to deal with, you know, how people feel about what, what their status is and what their prerogatives are and what they're entitled to do and how they feel when when uh, reality doesn't doesn't deliver on that <clears throat> excuse me but i want to be clear that i think you know first of all any any of these things can and should be negotiable if you're in a situation where you're just told this is the way it is it, it's a cookie cutter template and anything you don't like is just the the practices of this organization <clears throat> then they're not really giving much room to improve it and you've got to think pretty seriously probably about walking away um but putting aside that kind of most negative and you know impossible situation, I found that there's usually a lot of room for negotiation because people deep down know we haven't got this figured out. We're not work, we're not doing it as well as we could, and if we talk to each other, um, there's an opportunity to to find a better path forward. Uh, admittedly, I see situations when I've been brought in, when I'm consulting, when I'm facilitating these conversations. So that's a, a bit of a self-selecting sample. There's certainly a lot of places where they, they haven't reached that point. But what I can say is that having been involved in a lot of conversations like that, it's really clear to me that even doing any negotiation at all starts the process of moving off of a lot of these unspoken assumptions and working through the hardest parts. Because a lot of us are trying to avoid challenging conversations, awkward conversations, hoping problems will go away. Um, and, and just really not wanting to tell folks I, I'm unhappy with the way you work or the way you work is a problem for me or I can't do my best work without this, this, and this, you know, sort of negotiating over boundaries. Um, an exercise I've done more than once with a lot of success is to just uh, write everything that the team needs to do down on stickies and uh, uh, put them up on a, on a board and sort out who, who everybody thinks does those things. Um, and what you'll find is that there's a lot of clear cut, you know, nobody thinks the in most organizations that say the content designer is is writing the front end code, um, you know, and, 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 you know, there's some clear cut responsibilities that 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 each team has uh, each each practice and discipline has. Um, but inevitably, there are some some areas of dispute, whether it's product discovery um, or could be something as mundane as who does the wireframes or something like that. And sorting things out like this can help isolate the topics that that are in dispute and at least 
focus the conversation on the problem areas rather than having it be this vague general cloud that we don't work well together and we've got all this disagreement. You'll notice 60, 70, 80% of things are pretty much no argument at all. And sure, there's 5, 10, 15 specific things where you've got a difference of opinion and it's potentially a problem. Um, can you agree on some of those things? Negotiate, put the coin, maybe, maybe not. Can you make a temporary agreement for now, for the next sprint, for the next project that you'll do a retro later and see how it worked? You know, usually. Are you going to get your way in this negotiation? No, you're going to probably have to trade some things and get only part of your way. But you can document what happened and make a case later on for trying any of those things a different way if they didn't work, they didn't pan out. And then, as I mentioned, if you really just can't get anywhere with the people you're trying to work with, you need to bring in leadership to help, uh, as they say, knock some heads together to, to get people to move. And then like anything, this is an ongoing process of constant improvement, trying to learn. You know, some people complain that they're tired of working on how we work. They're tired of, of, of that. And I understand. It'd be great to just do your job. You know, you, uh, I'm sure jet pilots don't have long meetings about like, is the jet pilot's job different from the co-pilot? They, they, they know their roles and they they like to fly their planes and they don't have to have a lot of talks about defining the darn thing and stuff like that. Um, but we're working in a in a, a really uh, young field that's cross-disciplinary and evolving rapidly. And there really is probably, I think, no way to avoid spending some time on how you work. And I'm a real believer in the idea that the most valuable thing you can do in an agile sense, in some ways a lot more a lot more important than um, you know, agilely adapting your roadmap based on on the progress of the last sprint or something like that is regular retros where you review how are you working and what's not working and what should you try, what could you change, things like that. Uh, I think that's how we all incrementally improve the work that we're doing. Um, again, I've, t I've had many conversations with, with different teams uh, about who should do what, uh, what's a product job and what's a UX job and what are some of the things that are either jump balls or there's a disagreement about it or they need to do those things together, which is often the answer with these ambiguous things. Um, and I will tell you that I've never once seen exact same sorting. I've never even seen the same list of tasks, you know, uh, certainly some common ones, but there's always some outliers and, and the sort is never the same. It really depends on the specific people, the specific team, the history, the kind of thing they're doing and the mix of skills that are around. So it really is important to figure out your own version of this, I think. Um, I mentioned before that, that a very common frustration is research happening kind of in two different ways. You know, uh, there's a UX research practice that's happening in some area. There's a some product management, you know, talking to a customer every week kind of thing going on. It's not coordinated. PMs send out surveys. Researchers say the survey approach is rarely right. Um, and uh, product managers get annoyed that the same customer is being contacted twice or someone they didn't want to be talked to. Um, you know, uh, the way around this is to work together, I hate to say it, <laughs> to, to make your plan together, to come up with a research plan that, that leverages UX research skills and product discovery goals, um, and to maybe compromise. They want to send a survey, fine, help it, help it be a good survey that isn't harmful, maybe add some questions in. If there's going to be a survey, think of if there's anything you need to piggyback on. Um, invite them into what you're planning to do, make sure you're accounting for their research goals as well. Um, there, uh, you know, and 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 then give them assets that help them present or make a case or or solve the problem. Um, I, I think I keep hinting at this that sort of information architecture, diagramming, system modeling skills are super valuable. I have to say it's 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 been a common thread uh, as an IA, as a UX designer, 
and as a product manager throughout my career that I have wanted those diagrams, but I have not always had time to make them. Um, and if an IA came up to me or a UX person and said, hey, just map this thing out to help visualize it better, you know, and it doesn't have to be made in the shape of the, the Paris subway system or something like that, just, you know, what, whatever works. But if someone gave me something like that, it's like a gift. Thank you for helping me visualize this. I have some comments, but uh, can you clean this up for me? I'm going to put it in my slide deck. Um, another thing that I've hinted at a couple of times is that uh, some approaches to product management use data in a sort of blind way that's, a, I don't think I should say blind, in an opaque way that is kind of frustrating uh, to people because it seems like the numbers are being used to win an argument uh, or to, to make a case for something that's already been figured out. Um, or that you're sort of teaching to the test. You've you got your metric and now you're just trying to get that metric to move, but it's not necessarily a good representative of great experience or lasting value. Um, and I think that's legitimate. Now I would say as a product manager that tracking the data and optimizing for certain goals is part of the job. And I've done a lot of it. And this diagram here on the lower left shows some sort of conversion of, a, of the seven cups sign up process to, for paying customers. Uh, back when I was there a number of years ago, um, and how steadily month over month we were increasing it by doing experiments and testing things and keeping things that worked and dropping things that didn't work. Um, and it wasn't a consistent linear improvement, but over time there was a substantial movement, you know, uh, from like about a 1% conversion to one and a half or whatever that is. Yeah, a little bit more. Um, and that there's metrics outside of product analytics, you know, as well, you know, that might be customer satisfaction metrics or other things that we do, even the hated net promoter score, you know, is going to show up every, every once in a while. Um, so we're going to be getting data and we're going to try to look at it. But the mistake is to think that the data is the answer to the question or tells you what to do. It's just information, valuable information at times, but just information. Uh, design research has the skill set to say, hey, let's figure, we've got some ideas about what we think is making that number do that thing. Let's talk to some people. Let's get out in the field. Let's let's see what the literature says. Let's come up with with a you know. Let's try to come up with an explanation that makes sense that we can then use to drive our decisions as we move forward. Um, the experimentation, which again is something that that I think often lives with the product or the growth people, but that ought, ought, definitely should include the UX people as well, um, is a, a big part of this picture and another place where we should be working together. Um, as I keep saying, prioritization methods are things that UX people are used to, and, and we really should be offering to help with that and asking to be included and, and making ourselves useful as a way of doing that. Um, there's all kinds of different ways that we do this sort of thing, impact versus effort, uh, level of effort, high, medium, or low, medium, high. In this case, this is just a quick actual, I think it's a fig jam board from a, a small product we worked on at the state of California to add a page feedback element to the bottom of each page of a website that adopts this design system component and to productize it, take it from a tool we made for, for ourselves into something that other people could adopt and use. We did a quick prioritization of some of the wish list items and things that would sort of button down the interface a little bit better and then kind of sorted it to figure out which ones would be the highest impact, lowest effort, you know, and, and then all the way out to the uh, low effort, <laughs> low impact, high effort things, and even things that are would have a negative impact, um, like this one that's below the x axis. Um, and then we sorted it into a quick uh, conceptual uh, or thematic layout uh, roadmap, um, putting some things to work on right now, a couple of things to do next, and other things to do later with time. Uh, some someday maybe things, and then even a thing to specifically not do. Um, so, I mean, I, I organized this prioritization exercise as a PM with a PM hat on, 
But all I did was the same exact kind of work I would have done as a UX leader 10 years earlier. Um, this is all from the Fig Jam there. So uh, I guess the kind of bottom line point I'm making is uh, that um, it's in some ways up to you to try to improve what it's like to work with you and your team. <laughs> you can think of the experience of working with you as a user experience. The user in this case is not your customer, your end customer, it's your colleague. And that famous empathy that UX people love to tell everybody we have and that's so important to us and that we endow generously on that paying customer um, can also be employed, deployed with our adjacent coworkers, um, the people or neighbors who we might not always be happy with. Um, and instead of saying they should change, they should learn UX, they should understand the value of what I do, think about, would we say that about a customer, that they should change, they should learn the value of our product, they should learn the, the vocabulary we use in our inside our company? Or would you say, we don't understand why they're not signing up? <laughs> You know, we should figure out what language they use. We should try to figure out what they want. We should try to figure out what's stopping them from doing what we want. So think about it like a problem like that. Think about your product manager as a customer of you who isn't doing what you want sometimes. And what is it that makes them do what they do? What, what stops them from doing the thing that you'd like them to do? You know, what are they afraid of? Uh, what words do they use? Can you frame what you have to offer in the words they use so they more easily understand the value? Um, you might say that's not my job. They should, you know, I'm I'm their equal. They should meet me halfway. They should meet me more than halfway. And you might be right on some moral level, but in terms of pragmatic, you know, problem solving, I think UX folks have long learned that it, it's our job to go more than halfway, maybe all the way to the other person if we want to succeed. Um, so, you know, that that's sort of my 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 under you know bottom line message is, you've got these tools. You know how to solve problems like this. Um, and these are solvable problems. So um, I think we have enough time to do the second part of the empathy math exercise, which you might find is not that different from the first part. Uh, step one is to get or make a, a clean copy of the empathy map or a new layer in your drawing program or whatever you like, um, and then be ready to annotate it the same way you did the first time. Think about that same product manager who you mapped uh, empathetically just a little while ago, um, and read the prompts in each section and try to answer them once again. Um, particularly, you know, when you're done, compare the maps and uh, see if you wrote anything different. You know, you may not have. Maybe nothing I told you changed anything you think about product managers, and that would be interesting too, I think. Um, but if if you wrote something before and now you wrote a slightly different thing afterward in any of those areas, think about what that difference is about, you know, um, ask yourself. So um, I'm talking, but I encourage them, the, the, the clock's already ticking. I encourage you to um, do this exercise now. And I'll, I'll try to once again, talk a little bit quietly uh, while people are doing this exercise or the people who didn't want to do the exercise are once again, gossiping about their product managers and making fun of them and talking about how silly they are and so bad at UX. And they think they understand UX, but they don't. Um, which I will add, this is sort of bonus time while people are doing the exercise. Um, I will add that uh, one thing I've noticed is a, a sort of a parallel between the way people who identified as information architects through their job title and their role, um, and, and in some sense, their professional identity, their, their, uh, their called community of practice, uh, went through a bit of a similar kind of angst and trauma 
when interaction design and then more particularly UX design became the dominant concept, uh, the, 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 the leading frame for talking about the kind of work that we do. Um, and in particular, an information architect's complaint uh, might include the fact that user experience claims to incorporate information architecture, but has a very shallow understanding of it. In this case, reducing it to say like sitemaps and, 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 and navigation trees and things like that. Um, and this is frustrating when you when when another discipline comes along and says that they're a superset of what you do, and yet you feel like the version of uh, that they do of what you do is a sloppy, inadequate, shallow version. Um, and yet now you've been relegated to just a minor part of the larger picture. That's a very upsetting feeling. Some people double down on being information architects or redefine what that meant to them, um, and others took on new titles and adapted and sometimes didn't even change what they were doing very much. Um, and I think the parallels to this period we're in right now are fairly clear, because if you think of it, um, now you have UX incumbent, um, you have product management having come in and, you know, come on strong in the last decade or so, uh, and product management claims to understand UX. Product managers say UX is part of what they do or understand they, they take a boot camp or they read some blogs. And a UX professional, a practitioner, um, would tend to listen to that and shake their head and say, "That's not UX. You, you know, you're not allowing enough time for it. You know, or you've reduced it to a set of UX theater moves, or um, you know, you don't fully understand it, and you're just paying lip service to it." And it really just strikes me that that's a that's a similar kind of pattern going on, and there might be some things that we can learn about that, uh, which include to what extent you want to continue to fully root your identity in you know, the, the tribe you love the most, the, the frame that you're most attached to, um, and when it might make sense to adopt a new title or hat or lens, um, if that would open up opportunities to you or even allow you to move around in your own career in a way that you find intriguing. So I think it's been something close to five minutes now. It's probably enough time for people to do this exercise if they really want to. Um, and uh, I should have had that on the screen instead of talking, sorry. Um, but that pretty much wraps it up. I may have finished a minute or two early, but I think we have time for questions. And presumably, uh, we're only showing this video if I've had problems um, getting, you know, projecting or connecting. Um, but ideally, if that happened, by now I'm on and, and uh, they can take questions and we'll wrap up the, the event. Uh, once again, it's been my great pleasure, pleasure to appear here with you and uh, I look forward to when I can be down under in person again. But in the meanwhile, uh, thanks again and uh, you know, good on you, mates.